When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, a podcast that celebrates alone time. It doesn't matter if you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing that all-important me time. I'm your host, journalist Francesca Spector. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. My guest this week is journalist and presenter Matthew Stadlin. That that was a sort of whirlwind period where I was initially starting, you know, my, my mission statement was to find a new wife. And of course, life doesn't tend to work like that. So I, I dated lots and lots of people for, through a mixture of means online and offline. And I had a lot of fun, not promiscuously, but I had a lot of fun. I, you know, it, you know, in a way, it staved off some of the loneliness because I was keeping myself so busy. And I met people who I have subsequently become friends with. And, and in, in lots of ways, it was very positive, but it was... It, it, it can become addictive. Matthew Stadlin is a journalist, presenter and author. He has been a weekend presenter on London-based radio station LBC since 2016. Last year, Matthew published his first book, How to See Birds, a beautiful photography-filled book about the art of birdwatching. He also works with the BBC, The Telegraph and How To Academy interviewing everyone from Stephen Fry to Richard Dawkins. This interview was recorded in June, while the UK was still under tight lockdown due to COVID-19. Matthew shows an inspiring amount of honesty and vulnerability in this conversation, which ranges from his love of bird watching to his recent divorce and his struggles with living alone during this challenging time. Since recording this podcast, Matthew has made the bold decision to step down as a weekend presenter on LBC after four years. It's time to return to a life more in sync with friends and family, he wrote on social media earlier this week. Matt Stadlin, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. So um, we're in that very strange stage of lockdown where the rules are sort of loosening up. Are you, have you been living alone during this time? I've been living entirely alone for however many weeks it is now. I think in my case, maybe 14, 15 weeks. I went into self-isolation very early on, probably a week before the vast majority of the country. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite an experience. 
Have you have you taken up the um, the support bubble policy? Not yet, but and there's quite a lot of pressure about the the support bubble because you've kind of got to get it right. <laughs> well, there's it, it, if you're single and you're thinking about dating somebody, then given that I think I don't know how it quite works, but if you get it wrong, you then have to wait another fourteen days to get in a bubble with someone else. I guess that's not such a a difficult thing but for me because I need to be in work on on Fridays and Saturdays there'd be quite a bit of stress involved I think in wondering whether the other person is being safe or not necessarily whether they're being safe but whether they are virus free because if they get the virus then you as part of that bubble would have to self-isolate for 14 days I think from the last time you saw them and that would knock me out from doing my show for a couple of weeks. So it just puts a little bit more strain on things than it would normally. It's also quite strange, the idea of dating under government rules. Like, I mean, until about, until I think until Saturday, sex was illegal for single people. I mean, it's just so surreal, isn't it? So dating and, and, and maybe starting a relationship within the time of COVID is very peculiar. Yes, I empathise with you. I, I'm also living alone. I'm also single. And they're words that people, they're concepts that people use as, as a sort of synonymous with being alone. This podcast is effectively all about exploring the words that we use around being alone and what they mean. What for you does being alone mean? Well, alone doesn't necessarily imply loneliness, I don't think. Although people can experience a profound sense of aloneness and that can be a negative thing it can also be a positive thing I've always felt that when I'm supposed to be alone in other words perhaps when I've chosen to be alone it can be a wonderful thing so I think back for example to 1999 in fact I just I've only only recently woken up because I've been catching up from my lack of sleep over the weekend from my early morning shows on LBC and I was dreaming that I was back in New Zealand sort of 20 years on. So in 1999, a couple of years, a couple of months earlier in the year, just over 20 years ago, I would have been on a, a bus going through the winelands in the South Island of New Zealand. And I remember I was probably listening to my Walkman in those days. And I was on a 16-week voyage all alone. So I was traveling around the English-speaking world at that point on my own. And I just remember sitting there listening to music probably and feeling invigorated and I think that feeling came from the fact that I was supposed to be alone that it was okay to be alone I'd chosen to be alone at that moment and I felt probably free and there was there was something maybe not excitement but there was something empowering about it if you're not supposed to be alone like we are at the moment I mean we're supposed to be alone because that's the law but we weren't expecting it and we certainly weren't hoping for it and we far rather be plugged back into our our original way of being allowed to see our parents allowed to be inside with people and so forth i think when you're forced to be alone as we are that can be much much more challenging and confrontational yes so it really is that element of choice that that makes or breaks alone time for you I think so. Although if you choose not to be in a relationship with someone anymore, that can still be painful because you might think it's the right thing no longer to be with someone. But there might be an enormous amount 
that you, you there might be many things about that person or about the experience of being with that person that you miss so it's not just about choice in every circumstance if that makes sense yes I always think ending a relationship is sort of like stabbing yourself in the foot because you have to endure a period of sort of feeling just you know more habitually alone because you won't have someone around in the same way so a really um, really difficult thing to do I think to to end a relationship and it often takes huge bravery on the person on the part of the person who does it because as you say you're you're, you're committing yourself no longer to have the company and the comfort of, of someone else there might be an enormous amount about that person about the experience of being with that person that you like or love and so making that decision is a is a really really difficult one for a lot of people in my case I'm recently divorced and it was not my choice and in in a way I suppose the lockdown has has compounded that experience so it was hard enough in the six months pre-lockdown to be on my own and I think it engendered quite a bit of anxiety in me and and aloneness or loneliness and anxiety, perhaps for some, and I think probably for me recently, can go hand in hand if you're not careful. So being on my own during lockdown, coming out of a divorce, missing that person, being absent from that person, and then in addition to that, not not being able to seek the consolation of time with family and friends and distraction, the distraction actually of dating as well, really, physical dating. That, that's that been really hard. In your marriage, um, and in, I suppose, the relationship that came before that, was that a situation where you were always together? No, I think we were we were actually rather independent. And I found that a positive thing. So I'd go off and do my day trips to the countryside or occasionally overnight trips to the countryside to bird watch and take photographs and be immersed in nature and I'd also be away quite a bit hosting events at, at, at public gatherings festivals and so forth around the country so I kind of did my thing but but maybe because I was absent a lot or or, or, or every week in fact absent on, on the weekends through my work with LBC coming back at five thirty in the morning and and not waking up till 11 12 or maybe sometimes one o'clock I think that was pro- that probably put quite a pressure on the relationship without going into too many details because I wasn't there sufficiently. But generally, I think in my relationship and in my marriage, we were both independent, self-confident people, and we weren't the sort of couple who at dinner parties or gatherings would be clinging to each other's arm. We'd, We'd be off doing our own thing and very comfortable and happy doing it. But of course, if you end a relationship or if a relationship is ended... That there's a huge sense of loss and, and physical loss in, in the in the case of my relationship, and I should say that my ex-wife and I are on excellent terms, and I understand the reasons why she left the relationship, painful though that was, because I've really made an effort to understand. I think because there was a process of of uncoupling, as it were, before she made the decision eventually to leave. There's a sense in which you're not quite in that relationship anymore anyway. Whereas in the past, when relationships have ended, I've, I've felt a huge sense of physical loss. Just, just being in my, in, in my bed on my own without the other person has been really, really hard. 
and sort of almost panic inducing. Do you think that 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 period, that interim of almost, you know, sort of conscious separation, do you see a value in that? Or do you think, you know, the old school kind of cut the ties is 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 more? Well, I've been advised by psychologists, by at least one psychologist, but also by friends to cut ties with my ex-wife in in the short term in order to progress and move on and open myself up to the new and that's actually very counterintuitive for me because I've managed in my life largely to stay friends with former partners I think I'm a loyal person and in all my relationships I hope there's been a, a huge amount of mutual respect and friendship that has helped to underpin that relationship and also you develop great bonds with another human being if you spend a significant amount of time with them so it's always been it's always felt it would always have felt very odd for me to, to completely to distance myself from someone that I, I I went out with hasn't always been possible but largely it has until of course a new relationship takes hold and if your new partner feels uncomfortable I mean obviously you're not going to spend the, the same amount of time with exes once you're in a new relationship that you might if you're single but in periods of being single some of my best friends have become the people that I went out with and in one or two cases where they really have become long-term really good friends that hasn't been a problem for the next relationship so I found it quite hard actually to to uncouple in a proper sort of sense of the separation from my ex-wife. And as I said a, a little earlier, we're on very good terms. And I, I would say that we're very, very good friends. And she was incredibly kind and generous to me at the beginning of the lockdown when I was having a really difficult time psychologically, mentally. And I would do the same for her. Yes. Um, I think... There's always a tragedy of either again it, it it depends on your policy for these things, but if you do the cut all ties um if you subscribe to that school of um thought when it comes to breakups then it it really is quite tragic to lose someone that's been a huge part of your life so I suppose there's quite a nice element of that in that you were able to convert those relationships into what sound like quite solid friendships yeah, I think that when you when when a relationship ends it can be rather like a death but it can be in some ways more challenging than death because that person is still alive and if you're still in love with that person and they're still there but not with you that's immensely difficult particularly in the very early stages of a breakup when jealousy can still exist in that space so if it, it, whomever or whatever my wife whomever my wife were with now if she's with someone or whatever she might be doing or choosing to do I don't feel that jealousy anymore but of course in a relationship you feel jealousy not that either of us were ever remotely unfaithful to each other but in a relationship you feel that jealousy and in the immediate aftermath you, you, you might feel a desperate hope that that person is not with someone else because they've been your person and you've been their person for so long if you if you cut all ties with someone yeah i think i think first of all it's it's often unless unless a relationship has been abusive which i certainly wasn't and there's a real reason for for, for someone to, to establish proper distance and, and enduring distance I, I think yeah i think you you 
it's very, very difficult because you go from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour overnight. And, and as I say, it's artificial and it, it, and it runs against the grain. I mean, it might not be 100 miles an hour because the relationship might have been breaking down for some time. But I think you understand what I'm what I'm saying. And yet, in order to move on, I think probably a lot of people find it is important to have a proper break. I mean, we had about a, a, a two month break in which there was very, very little contact. And that was difficult. It was really difficult. And maybe, maybe it helped. I, I think earlier you spoke about that choice element. And, you know, I, I, I can't sympathize enough with being, you know, quite recently post a breakup in lockdown, because I don't think, you know, lockdown isn't a situation that you choose. Obviously, the breakdown of a marriage is something that no one would choose, because it's just so difficult for, for both parties. Would you say that is the thing that's transformed, you know, being alone, which can be at at times in your life when it, when things are easier, a positive experience into loneliness? I think it was probably harder to be lonely pre-lockdown for me because I'm lucky enough to have lots of friends and lots of good friends, close friends. And I'm a huge socialiser. I'm not someone who goes down to the pub or goes clubbing anymore, but I am someone who loves hosting and putting on things. So I'll have dinner parties with 16 people and, and cook with my producer at LBC share 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 the experience I'll be the sous chef or I'll or I'll find a female friend who who wants to co-host with me and we'll cook together and that 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 is that is as I probably said earlier a huge consolation if you're getting through a a breakup and of course seeing family which is a, for me anyway a huge part of my life and I haven't been able to see my mum and dad for months and that's I mean obviously I speak not obviously but I speak to them every day pretty much on FaceTime and but not being able to to hug someone not being able to as I say in the case of my parents actually see them at all physically has been very very difficult and loneliness inducing and it was it was amazing the extent to which how quickly we had to, to adapt to all this and how quickly a lot of us did adapt but but suddenly you'd be watching tv programs or films and people would be touching each other or in the case of sport, they'd be celebrating together, packed into stadiums. And what were they doing so close to each other? It, it was, part of the dystopia was how quickly normal became abnormal. Do you think that's affected you greatly? Do you think that you are someone who's quite tactile and, and being, not being able to hug someone has been a big part of that loneliness? It's difficult to say. I think it's more it's it's more being unable actually to see people face to face although as as we know that's changed at least outdoors for some time now but no I think I think that's probably had a big impact it's difficult to to know exactly how much of an impact but clearly part of human interaction is physical contact and that can extend to sport so throwing yourself around on the football pitch being able to tackle people and and, and challenge people and be physical in that way, I think is really important. I, I, I absolutely think that, that hugs and cuddles and all of that are, losing that is a big thing. And then of course there's sex and that, that the, the absence of that form of intimacy in my life, and it's been largely absent for a long time now, is, uh, I was going to say unhealthy. I think it's it's for me anyway, and and you hope for most people of a sexually active age that you know that it's not that normal. And I think that that, that sex and, and and sexual intimacy, being physical, expressing feelings for another human being, and having those feelings returned, 
is such an important part of life and 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 not having that although you can get used to it and 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 sort of accept it not having that is big i think yes and i think the gulf between people in relationships and not is such a big thing now because you know there was there was a actual okay it wasn't officially in writing as this but there was a sex ban so it, you know effectively anyone not in a relationship just wasn't having sex and it, it was such a it, it, it just really created such different lives it was almost like people in relationships or marriages were in this sort of very domestic together sphere and I know that that in itself came with a lot of downsides because it may have been claustrophobic but it, it really did you know for me I never really noticed that much difference between me and my friends and relationships but knowing that our lives were so different really did almost create a sort of more of a gulf yeah I think it absolutely brought into very sharp focus the extent to which as a single person I was the outlier now as a 40 year old and I hadn't really properly engaged with the idea that almost everyone I knew is in some form of relationship and yeah, that I suppose did add to the ascent, the sense of loneliness, the sense that one was out of step with other people. I think you're right as well though, to point out that it's not a utopia for a lot of people if they are forced to, to spend 24-7 with another human being, even if they love them. I think that's interesting um, that did make you become more aware as a 40-year-old man that, that maybe a lot of your peers were in different life stages. Do you think that it's maybe something about how do I put this that at certain stages of your life it's you know it's it's more lonely to be single because it's more isolating it's more out of step I think it's a really important point and yes I agree with you I think being out of step and out of sync with those that you care about and love is 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 difficult definitely difficult I mean I wrote a piece back in I think maybe 2015 when I was 35 about how much I suddenly realised I wanted to have children. I was out on a bird reserve in London, the Wetland Centre, bird watching or taking photographs of birds. And I thought, well, I don't want to be an older dad where suddenly it's quite difficult. And this is, in my own mind, I was saying to myself, bird watching is, 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 is traditionally seen as quite a nerdy thing. And yet I'm sort of 35, young and physically fit. And I, if I were to have children now, I could bring them into the in, in, into the bird watching world without it appearing to be nerdy or, or whatever not that there's anything wrong with being a nerd and and so I wanted to, I didn't want to be such an old dad that I would uh, you know that that, that 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 I might not be able to be sort of almost cool and a bird watcher at the same time and and that that that's a sort of very, very irrational and stupid way of thinking but I think what it was telling me was that I wanted to get on and have children I didn't want to be a, a much older dad and I did then get married and was obviously hoping to have a family with my ex-wife and that's no longer a reality. And so I'm, as it were, I've slid further down the snakes and ladders than I was even when I was 35. And if you think too much about that, that can get quite scary. And of course, you've got to be really careful then not to get involved in the wrong relationship for the wrong reason, because that, that, you know, that way perdition lies. But yes, I, I certainly think that being out of step with with your peers in any area of life, I think, is is can be perplexing and disorienting. And I, I certainly have felt that. I mean, at the moment, I've been worrying about so many other things that I haven't really had the space to worry about that. Although I do wonder whether anxieties, and I do experience anxiety at times, 
episodically really and, and maybe low level anxiety quite a bit of the time without necessarily realizing and I do think that 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 can very possibly have part of its roots in you know more fundamental worries such as such as whether you're at the right stage of your life whether, whether you're in sync with the stage that you're at it's funny that you use the snakes and ladders analogy because I always think about that. I think we, we normally use the idea of, you know, marriage and kids as a sort of process that we go through and milestones that you get to in your life. But of course, you know, the, the I think the, the old stat is that 42% of marriages end in divorce. We assume that things progress forward, but of course things don't always go right or the way that we assume that they will. The, the, the positive thing to remind ourselves of in that context is that Although the idea of being single can sound like a mountain to climb again as you, as you try to, to find a new relationship, actually the early stages of a new relationship can be some of the most exciting times. So all it takes is to, to meet someone and suddenly it's, it's absolutely not a chore anymore. Completely. I equally think um, when you meet people at, you know, later in your life, well, you know, whether that's after you've had a process of self-development and the wisdom of previous relationships, it can, it can almost accelerate things because you sort of more, have more of an idea of what you, of what you want. I yes. Although, although in my case, because a relationship that I was hoping and intending would last for life and that I celebrated in front of 220 people at our, at our wedding, because that broke down, that that that's I think that certainly led me to 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 doubt my ability to choose well. I don't regret having married my ex-wife, and I still have huge amounts of love for her and and huge amounts of respect as well. But it didn't work, and so that risks undermining my confidence. Has undermined my confidence in knowing quite what I want. Or not what I want, but what, you know, what I want from a relationship, and or, or more who I want, who who might be right for me, and whom I might be right for, and also because I'm forty and have much less time than I did, I think I'm 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 being much more careful in choosing a person to to take it further with, assuming of course that they want to take it further with me than I might have been in the past. I mean, in the past I might have had a series of six weeks, three months, mini relationships, but, but I'm not open to that anymore. And that can put more pressure on things. I mean, after my, after my wife and I separated in the, in last summer, I kind of went on a dating binge. I, I, I dated about 30 people pre lockdown. Some of them, you know, two, three, four times. So that's a lot of dating. And by the way, it's very expensive still in <laughs> in, in, in 2020 as a man. That's, it's, it's, that definitely takes a toll on your bank account. But that that was a sort of whirlwind period where I was initially starting, you know, I, my, my mission statement was to find a new wife. And of course, life doesn't tend to work like that. So I, I dated lots and lots of people for, through a mixture of means online and offline. And I had a lot of fun, not promiscuously, but I had a lot of fun. I, you know, it, in, a, in a way, it staved off some of the loneliness because I was keeping myself so busy. And I met people who I have subsequently become friends with. And, and in, in lots of ways, it was very positive. But it was, it, it, it can become addictive. I mean, like so many things in life, 
dating can become ad- can become addictive. It, we we know that there are sex addicts. I, I wasn't sleeping with these people, but but lots of people do, and it can be you know it can become a problem and can become compulsive. But I think it's interesting that that I'm not anywhere at the moment in a relationship with anyone, and I've dated so many people. So I'm I'm quite interested to know why that might be. Yes. Um, do you think that so going on? 30, yes, 30 dates pre-lockdown from last summer to now that, yeah. More than 30 dates because some of them were, some people I dated with multiple dates. So it's a lot of people, yeah. There's a lot of people, a lot of dates. Do you think, uh, do you think practice makes perfect? Do you think there's, do you think you can sort of learn the art of a first date, but less so the more difficult part is, I suppose, building that relationship? I hope. I think I was always quite good at dating. I mean, I was a multiple serial dater before I was married. Not a not a not a serial shagger as some might be, but I was a serial dater, and I enjoyed it. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy learning about people. I guess that's one of the reasons why I do my radio show because I, I'm interested and curious about others. I ask lots of questions, and sometimes it could be a little bit too much, like an interviewer, because like an interview because I'm an interviewer by trade. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that I'm not. It was never a question of trying to become better at dating. I don't think. But I, I, I do want to be as good as I possibly can be at the really important bit, which is identifying someone to, you know, give it a go with. Yeah, yeah. The difficulty as well, I suppose it, it, it's, easy, it's very easy to theorise about the sort of person or the sort of situation that you might want. But actually, I was discussing this with friends the other night. I think we came to the conclusion that no one really is themselves on a first date. But then it's difficult to know how much to pursue something. Yeah, I think that that's a good that's a good that's a good thought. Yeah, I think I mean obviously given that my ex-wife no longer wanted to be with me, it was all, it was rather nice in the early stages of post-marital dating that that people seemed to be very enthusiastic towards me. But as you say, I think people are mostly on their best behavior early on in in the dating game and indeed in the interviewing world as well when I interview people, most, most, I mean, I did a series for the BBC called five minutes with where I interviewed 220 people over five years, each in exactly five minutes timed against a clock. And those, it was fantastic fun to do. And you really got a little sense, a snippet, a snapshot of the person. And I tried very quickly through my, I hope powers of empathy. I I think that, you know, they, although I do think I got to the, I hope I got to the essence in, in a quite short space of time or something close to the essence of a lot of them. But nonetheless, of course, people are going to be on their best behavior if they're being interviewed for the BBC. But no, I, I, yeah, I think people do in, in, in early engagements often try to put their best foot forward. I wonder if there's almost a danger of your average person might find it difficult to connect with that many people, right? But But your job is to connect and not only connect but to have these tremendously interesting conversations with indiscriminately everyone that you speak to so do you think it's almost more deceiving or or have you even if you're commanding a very good conversation have you in the back of your mind got a good idea of how you think the connection is I think most of us do Although I have found myself on on dates with people and having gone through even several dates with people where the other person seems to or does want to pursue it and seems to think that there's something there to pursue when I'm quite sure in my mind that I'm that I don't want that yeah so that that has that has been something that surprised me relatively recently but maybe over the years as well that if I'm not into something 
how is it possible that the other person still is? And I think that as a presenter, although it's absolutely essential to be yourself, I think, when you're a radio presenter or TV presenter, because people can see through it if you're not. I don't think you can really fake it or you can't fake it successfully. Nonetheless, because I'm a performer and I do a lot of on-stage interviews, I mean, I'll be up in front of packed London theatres interviewing Michael Caine, Sir Michael Caine, for an hour and a half, or I'll be interviewing Richard Dawkins at the Hay Festival in front of 1,800 people or whatever, without notes. And it's exhilarating, it's thrilling, it's, it's, it's one of the times when I feel most alive. But obviously, there's, there is an extent to which I'm a version of myself. I'm, I'm being performer Matt at that point. And, and, and on LBC, I'm a slightly amped up version of myself, usually, I guess. So when it comes to a date, I mean, I've been on dates in my life where I've known from the moment that the person has walked through the door that I'm not interested in them romantically, mm. for whatever reason. But I've then gone through two hours of conversation and a hundred pounds of a bill because I've wanted to do what I felt at the time was the right thing. You know, it'd be appalling to to make it, I think, others will disagree, to make it obvious within seconds that you're not interested in, in, in someone because what does that do to that person's sense of self or confidence? That's not to inflate my own impact on someone, but just anyone. No one likes rejection. And yet if you, and so there's an extent to which you are acting at that point or, or not, or if not acting, you're, you're focusing on what is interesting about that person. So you might not fancy them physically or, or there might be something psychologically or emotional about them that you are not interested in. And that means that you don't fancy them, but you could still find them an interesting person, an interesting conversation list. And so you switch into that mode, but that can then be misinterpreted as a successful date. And, 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 and in a sense, you could argue is dishonest. But what, what I've never quite understood what the alternative to that is. Someone walks in, you've planned dinner. It's probably better to plan drinks rather than dinner. I mean, this is all pre-dystopia, of course. But I have still, even once you've got through that, those, those two hours, I've still found it difficult sometimes with people to, to say no to them. It's amazing, it's amazing how difficult that can be. But of course, it's the fairest thing to do. And, and you have to do it in a way that is, that is as kind as you can manage. I mean, I envy friends who are, who are able to do all this online dating stuff and just be incredibly straightforward. They, 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 they'll do a FaceTime date. And at the end of it, they'll say, okay, uh, I thought you were great, but it's, I think there's something missing. And, you know, I, I wish you well. Well, yes, but I think your responsibility isn't necessarily the other person's self-esteem. And that's for sometimes someone, I think, might pursue something because they are very scared to be alone or they are in a position where they really want to find someone. And it's it's not on you to help them value their own company. Or That's a really good point. And, of course, I have to say that to myself without thinking about it and without actually saying it to myself each time when I'm on the radio. Because if I have an argument with someone, on the radio and 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 I win or seem to win who knows what that does to their sense of self worth and their morale again I don't want to inflate my own impact on the world but these are obvious questions that one should probably ask oneself from time to time and I and, and implicitly and impliedly I just say to, I probably have to say to myself well it's not my responsibility they've chosen to go on national radio and, and air their views and it, I, I cannot parent them through that experience i could be as kind and decent as i can and non-inflammatory as i can but ultimately they are responsible for themselves this is going into the third segment of the podcast so the concept of 
alonement, which is the opposite of loneliness. So, you know, you spoke about when you were, you spoke about when you were growing up, your trip to New Zealand and how that really stood out to you as a period where you had really enjoyed and relished being alone. And um, also you've, you know, bird watching is a huge interest of yours. You've written a book on it. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Because that must be a very solitary experience. So on on the on the question of herd watching itself, it was something I did when I was growing up, and I had to sort of weather the fact that people at school thought that was a bit naff, and I was proud of it. I've always been very, I, I suppose, despite being bullied, self assured, and and committed to what I believe in. I've always, I've never kind of given in really to I hope to peer group pressure, but bird watching intermittently on and off in my life has been a huge thing. And in my mid thirties, mid to late thirties, I started to combine it with an interest in photography, which pre, pre-existed that as well, pre-existed that period in my life. And, you know, I've got a big creative urge and I've made 29 half-hour documentaries for the BBC where I was a presenter, producer and director. And I, part of what I loved about that was putting the films together with the picture editor, someone I'm still friends with. We spent 1,500 hours in the darkened edit suite in the bowels of the BBC together and somehow we managed to come out friends. Photography became an outlet for me and social media allowed me to sh- share that with others. And so I, I just became a better and better photographer from sort of blurred landscapes and, and sort of oversaturated sunsets. I started to focus on birds and they were initially quite blurry. And as my lens got bigger and better, my photographs got better. And as I spent more time doing it, it, it became a more successful pursuit. And I and as you say, I wrote a book called How to See Birds, which is illustrated by 150 or 200 or whatever of my photographs. And I'm enormously proud of that. It's not easy to get a, a photography book published. But perhaps more important than any of that is how I feel when I am alone in nature. And alonement is a really good word for this, I think. So whether I am bird watching without my camera, which rarely happens if ever these days, but certainly did when I was younger, or whether I'm with my camera as I am now, I lose my sense of, it's not so much I lose my sense of self because I think I'm closer to who I really am perhaps than almost at any other point in my daily or weekly life. But I I, I lose a preoccupation with myself. I I lose a sense of my worries. I'm I'm less interested in myself. I'm less self-indulgent. I'm less anxious. I'm just busy with what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm kind of lost in nature. And by losing myself in nature, I suppose I find myself. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's probably true. I'm so focused on finding the bird and representing that bird if I'm photographing it, being create in the creative moment and also just exposed and uh, and and locked into nature that it's a wonderful feeling of alonement and and certainly in those times. I have absolutely no sense of loneliness or desire to be with anyone else or the need to be with anyone else. And it's a world that most of us spend our lives ignoring or being you know, being unaware of. And look, it, birdwatching is it's probably like a lot of different passions. And part of it is just being passionate about something, which I think is really helpful. And a really important part of being alone is if you can be passionate about something that doesn't require other people to be involved. But there's something particularly wonderful about it, I would suggest, because it is nature. And I think being in nature is such an important part of being a human being. Yes. And um, okay, so 
to a non-bird watcher, and I, I, I'm not sure, you know, how much of the alonement listener base is also into bird watching. Um, but I'm, I'm going to assume a lot of people aren't quite sure what exactly it would constitute. You know, how, how do you go about a, a morning of bird watching or a day of bird watching? You know, that might sound like a quite a banal question, but really, is do you set out looking for particular birds? So I, th- I think that, first of all, yeah, I mean, even at my age, at the grand old age of 40, I think it's quite unusual to be out and about bird watching and see people of a similar age, because it, it tends to be an older thing and, and often an older man thing, although there are women as well who are into it. In America, it's much less uncool. And it's a huge thing in America. And it's a growing thing here. I mean, there are what are, whatever there are, a million plus members of the RSPB here. And there are, you know, two or three million people each year, I think, go birdwatching. So it, it's, it's much more common than one might assume. But what does it involve? I mean, it can, it, there are different forms. So twitching is when you go specifically to look for a particular bird that you hear is, has arrived somewhere unusual. And there are some people who, who travel tens of thousands of miles each year to, to, to build their list of birds that they, rare birds that they see. I've done that a bit. I mean, I don't do it anymore. But when I was writing the book and I was really in the moment, I would do that. I would do that from time to time. So an example, a rough-legged buzzard, which is a very unusual bird in this country. There's some resident, but I think, I think there are some resident, but lots of them just fly in from outside. And I heard that, I think on Twitter maybe or, or Instagram, that there was a rough-legged buzzard in, on a golf course, hunting on a golf course in Essex, in, in, near Clacton-on-Sea. And so I got into my car and I drove the hour and a half, two hours there, not knowing whether it would still be there when I was, when I arrived. And I could see this line of, of people with their cameras and binoculars walking towards me away from the golf course as I arrived. So obviously you think, my God, has the bird flown? Is, you know, has this all been in vain? That's part of the excitement, by the way. Because if there were no, if there were no possibility of disappointment and if there were not occasional disappointments, then you wouldn't get the, the thrill of it. And so I carried on and. There it was in in the distance, a speck on a on a on a on a post, and that would have been enough for me because I wanted to see a rough legged buzzard all my life. I never had. This was about three or four years ago, and but then it flew, and then it and then it began hunting and circling overhead in the evening sunlight in the Essex sunshine. And I took photographs of it. My, I don't think my lens was as good then as it is now, perhaps, but I took sufficiently good photographs that that I was able to put one, I think, in my book as a full page and. The, the thrill, the excitement of not only seeing this bird for the first time, but actually capturing it satisfyingly enough on, a, on my camera was just enormous. I mean, I've, I've been to Wick and Fen, which is, I think, a national trust reserve in Cambridgeshire, perhaps, and seen hen harriers flying into roost in the reed beds in the evening. Just a little bit too dark to get a photograph that worked, but light enough in the flesh to see it. And it's like a sort of pale grey white ghost flying in the most exquisitely beautiful bird of prey. And I've been completely alone at that moment. I mean, I don't think there was anyone else on the reserve at that point. And I just, I mean, I started sort of speaking to myself, talking to myself out loud, just and and sort of giving off little, little sort of gasps of euphoria. The excitement was, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan. I play rugby, football, cricket. I do boxing. And... I go to all of the England rugby games that I can and so forth. And that, that you know, that's, those are huge passions of myself, of, of mine. But the, the thrill of seeing a hen harrier for the first time 
you know, is absolutely up there with England beating the All Blacks in the semi-final of the World Cup. It just takes over your body. It's so wonderful. And that's an experience I had entirely on my own. And if I'd never been able to, I mean, I did immediately communicate it to my wife, to my wife and to my, to my mum, my then wife, you know, you know, I phoned them afterwards, but, and that's part of the fun of it. And my, my ex-wife really got excited because she loved me with the things that excited me. And that's reflective of her love for me and also what a brilliant person she is. But, and also about my passion, like it is intoxicating for others as well when someone's really passionate about something, even if it's something as quirky as bird watching. So, so seeing, seeing that bird then totally alone. And yet I've rarely felt so alive. I mean, so much to unpack there. To start with, I am so glad I asked my very banal question about how does one bird watch? Because I knew nothing. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will have been thoroughly educated by that. Not least that Twitter is used as a medium for bird watchers to communicate. Appropriately enough, given the name Twitter. I like what you said about someone having a passion being intoxicating because that's the thing I think people think that perhaps to commit themselves to a relationship it's, it's it's sort of being all in that but actually what can be very attractive about someone is if they cultivate something by themselves and then that can be a force for I suppose connection. Yes I think relationships can probably thrive when it as long as it doesn't become obsessive and take you away from home too much but as long as it isn't obsessive, I think people having their own hobbies and passions within a relationship can, can, can contribute to the success of that relationship. Matt, thank you so much. I've enjoyed speaking to you so much. No, it's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed your questions. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Alonement Podcast. If you liked this episode, please do rate, review or subscribe. It makes a big difference to helping other people find us. Until next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.